0: This week on the Back Table Podcast. But if you, my suggestion, this is just from me, Tim Yates, not not an international guru of any, uh, you know, uh, any sort, just an operating IR out there. My suggestion would be if you're going to do it, it's always good to have another set of ears or a few sets of ears and a practice to be able to bounce ideas off of and have the support to be able to learn new techniques together and to sort of manage things together. If there is a complication to hear someone say, hey, man. I've done a thousand of those and I had 80 of those complications. It's okay. Welcome
1: back to the Back Table Podcast. This is part two of the Hospital OBL Podcast with guest host, Dr. Lincoln Patel and our guest, Dr. Tim Yates. But before we get to that, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, RadPad. RadPad was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during Cine and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RadPad radiation protection shields for all of your floral guided interventions. See RadPad.com for more information. Contact info at RadPad.com for a free radiation evaluation and no-brainer radiation protection cap. And let them know you heard about it on the Backtable podcast. So uh, you guys are functioning only as OBLs, is that correct? Or do you have any
0: ASCs? Yes. Yeah, so currently that is the case. But Julio Sangilli, who's a vascular surgeon up in Stewart, has joined the organization in within the last six months, and there his facility is going on. And the way they built that out was to be able to convert to uh, convertible to an ASC in the future if if need be. But everything up until this point has been um has been run as an OBL simply because I think you know, overall cost. And I think reimbursement is generally better. I think we may get into some of that for most things, except for really dialysis work, at least that I'm aware of in my, you know, four months of being in the organization. Uh, so up until now, we haven't had anything, but that is, that isn't in the near future for us.
2: Yeah, so I, I will say plugging myself, uh, that's that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're building out to a, uh, so let's just a uh, definition of uh, some terms. Agency, obviously, ambulatory Surgical Center. Uh, it's a higher level of, uh, of, construction, uh, you know, requiring certain doorways, certain hallway size, uh, certain clean rooms and dirty rooms, as well as patient beds and so forth. Uh, And it also requires some certification from uh, Medicare and so forth. And in some states, uh, if you have a certificate need, you need it for a ADSC. As far as I'm aware, no OBL requires a certificate of need in any state whatsoever. Uh, So it's definitely a higher bar to do an ASC, and you can do more procedures, but as Tim said, uh, the reimbursement is really variable,
0: and this is something you really need to educate yourself on. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that's I think that's a great point. I think that's something that people have to to realize. And I think um, I think the the model has been up until now for most people start as an OBL, figure out if there's a need. Uh, if you're doing well enough that there were a need for a, an amateur surgical center, obviously you have surgical partners, uh, or 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 there are certain procedures that you're doing a lot of that might be more beneficial in the ASC setting to merit all of the extra steps that you have to take. You know then it then it makes sense but for most of us at least in what we have been doing up until now the obl model has been far you know more than sufficient especially in pad the obl pay is actually yeah. better than most of the ASC.
2: so uh, it totally makes sense so
1: yeah and then it's interesting like you're saying the dialysis work a lot of the shuntograms me, stem placement is all about it's almost twice as much in the ASC as it is in the obl yeah it's kind of crazy and, and the last thing I'll tell you that
2: the real interesting thing is for IBC filters, technically you, there is no Medicare approved listed place or take out IBC filters in the AOC, but you could do it in OBL. Wow. Yeah. Really, really does not make sense. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, this is where, you know, it's, uh, really important to, if you're, if you don't have the time to get into this depth, there are plenty of, you know, um, uh, consultants out there that can help you
0: uh through this well, y- you know you you bring these things up and and a lot of these things are much like you know laws uh in a city that don't allow you to turn left on a Sunday morning at nine in the morning kind of a thing uh in certain streets because they're just on the books and no one has taken the time to change them and some of these don't necessarily have a modern rationale and require folks like us who are involved in this care to become involved with SIR Pack and other things to really to get more involved in in the political action side of things uh, because if we don't um, if we don't you know uh, bring ourselves to the dinner table we are dinner kind of a thing and you, you got to really you got to really lobby for yourself.
2: Absolutely. That's a good point.
0: Excellent
2: point. Um, so, Tim, well, how have you? So you joined in September of 2019. Your uh, that's, all- that's right. That's right. And so it's been just uh four or five months so uh,
0: how has it been how has the transition been for you uh it, honestly it's been um the the only thing that i have had to deal with that has been unpleasant um it has been the traffic between miami all the way to uh west palm beach and now my family we've moved up to as, as you we talked about earlier in the midst of uh getting everything uh the last bits out of our apartment in miami actually this weekend um, uh, the drive has been rough. I didn't have any driving from uh, to really other than just the five to 10 minute drive to the hospital in Miami because I live very close to where I worked. Uh, but I, I am not on call. Um, I I go in from 730 and I'm done anywhere from three to five every single day. Uh, I have no uh, weekend responsibilities. Um, the staff is phenomenal. Things are, are super streamlined. The patients really get a much more concierge approach, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. The staff is, it's very intimate. I mean, I've really enjoyed it. And I can be honest with you. Uh, one thing that I didn't think I was gonna like that I've really taken a liking to has been all of the marketing. Um, and uh, there's a, there's a, a young woman that they hired um, and addition that works um, up in the Stewart facility with, with um uh, and uh, Ross and, and I, we've really been putting our heads together about our strategy for tackling uh, social media and tackling uh, sort of a, a new wave of of marketing for the organization and trying to sort of rebrand uh, the organization. So that's actually been, it's been a lot of fun. And that's sort of, you know, what we talked talking about earlier in the, in the talk, you know, what were the list of things that I wanted? I really wanted to be in an organization where my ideas could be put to use and be respected. And this has been, you know, I had nothing but support from these guys, something that's completely the opposite of what it was in my former organization uh, just because of the structure that, uh, you know, of our department. So it's been, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, are you doing much uh, managing of uh, personnel? I, I have to, um, I, I ultimately have to, because at this point, uh, you know, I'm I'm running two different centers on two different days. Um, th- there's, there's a certain point where it's so early on, um, you know, I, I try to sort of, Step back and look at things from thirty thousand feet, and just try to sort of educate people. Um, the, a lot of those management decisions are ultimately squeezed simply because these were his centers before, and I, I I respect him on that. And I I don't step on toes for that because you know you you, you can't bite the hand that feeds you. You want to support uh, and sort of fill in. And honestly, man, I mean, um, you know, I I could come in with a lot of preconceived notions about how i think things should work but that's not the culture maybe that i'm in now so i i it's really the onus i feel like on me at least for the first really 12 months is to learn the culture there and to try to integrate into the culture and then bring some new things to that culture that will help it to grow but you can't know what those things are even 4 months in i i, I know people now and they know me but you know it's a, there's a period of time where you got to kind of work into it
2: yeah. uh so i want to give a plug back to Aaron's podcast
0: episodes number 36
2: and 37. Uh, 36 was with, with Mary Constantino talking about UFEs and 37 was about peripheral artery disease and OBL. If you have not listened to those, I think those are fantastic and, and well worth a listen. Uh, I just want to reference. Uh, uh, Mary made a great uh, uh, anecdote about one patient and I thought it really captured the difference between being in a hospital and being an owner OBL person. And that's what she, she had a patient that was having pain. Most of our UFD patients go home. Uh, she had a patient that called that was having severe pain. And, you know, if we were in the hospital setting, what would we do? We send them to VR, right? She took the step to open up her center, bring her nurse in at nine o'clock at night, get the patient's IV dilated hydration for two hours from nine to 11. And then she was able to go home. To me, that epitomizes what, how much better quality you can provide if you're willing to take that extra step in ownership of your patients and uh, is there any you know anecdote that you can see specifically that you've had so far that that, that would mimic something like that
0: well look i'll I'll, yeah i'll give you a couple of anecdotes but uh, i think first and foremost you you said something really important there ownership ownership is critical here um um ownership you have to own your patients it's very very different they number one you, the whole idea is to not have them go to the hospital. Now, the hospital's not the, the, the bad guy in the room. A hospital has an incredibly important purpose. But if you're treating something that you purport that can be done in an office, it should be done in the office. You know, we have uh, in our facility, we do have the ability to have overnight observation if we need to. It's just gonna cost us money to, to fund that nurse and have the lights on and have the monitors on during all of that time. But if it's the right thing for the patient, then you do it as a business owner, right? You do it because at the end of the day, it's going to bring you more business. You want your current business partakers to love you. Word of mouth is everything. You have to support them and treat them as if, if you don't, they're not going to come back because guess what? They won't, they'll find somewhere else. In a hospital, you get a false sense of complacency that you're always going to be fed because you're so great. That's what they want you to think because they're hiring you to make money for them. So they're going to make sure that you're fed. This is very, very different. You have to really take ownership of that patient and do do what it takes to make sure they have a higher level experience. Look, if you you set expectations right, you know, Aaron, I think, uh, and Lincoln, I think, you know, and all of our listeners here, it's it's critical. There's no, nobody wants the wool pulled over their eyes. And like I said, you know, one of my goals was to have a team of people working in the facility where I'm working that's sort of like a Navy SEAL team of highly specialized and trained people that kind of are in it to save that person's leg or to clear that DVT or to you know, treat that that hepatocellular carcinoma to, to try to make that patient's life better. If they understand what's at stake and they have buy-in and they understand the expectations, if they, you know, they're not going to complain if they're the right people. And, and it's really critical. So it just, you, you know, as, as any business, you're only as strong as your weakest link and you have to understand who your players are and it's not always gonna be perfect. Uh, in fact, it's never perfect, but it can be significantly closer if you at least set the stage right.
2: Yeah. Um, questions about uh, your, your your practice, uh, about additionally, in addition to managing people, how, and you may not be involved in this, so if you're not, that's, uh, uh, getting on insurance plans uh, to, you know, which systems, uh, you know, you, you have uh, purchasing power over, and so forth who who does all of that negotiation for you
0: it's a good question so so at this point palm is big enough that we have uh you know we have ceo COO, we have cfo we have people that are managing uh administration we have people that are, are managing these types of questions we have a coding specialist um and we have um sort of our insurance gurus too so um what's what what i'm seeing isn't so much of tr- you know trying to get on plans like currently i'm obviously in a in a ramp-up period where i still have you know, I've pretty much coverage across all of the coverages for the centers and for Dr. Sui, but there's still some things where I'm lagging and might take six months to get on and then reimbursement might lag another three months, that kind of a thing. But what I'm seeing more is, um, is actually, you know, now that we have more centers, now that we're doing more cases, some insurers are actually seeing um, that our cost is going up relatively because we're doing more work. So I've actually been in with some of the big HMO. Uh, Meet and also one of the a, a couple of ACO meetings where they're talking about you know uh, overall cost of X procedure versus X procedure you know and it's funny uh, you know there have even been a couple of situations where we're you know being told we're costing too much um, uh, for you know the lower extremity angiogram for example with or without thorectomy. uh, despite the fact that it's even more expensive in a hospital they still want their outpatient care to be to be cheaper. So I'll be getting some more of the uh, higher level organization. How can we continue to be your business partners? Um, and how can we sort of grow with you? And how can we do right by you specifically, which is actually very challenging. In a hospital, you treat everybody sort of the same, right? Because, you know, they're in the hospital that things are going to get covered uh, or they're, you know, they don't have coverage and you're doing it as a pro bono thing because they have a problem that needs to be treated. Here, we have to sort of be cognizant of what payers are trying to do what their goals are and we may not be able to treat patients necessarily um uh you know uh, that's it doesn't sound right to say the same but um you know ultimately trying to be cost conscious in certain scenarios uh, because you know our partners need are in a tight period or whatever. so those are things you don't necessarily consider until you get to this outpatient market and the, and each payer is different
2: yeah, but you're not dealing with the negotiations yourself You you have a I am uh, not, over. I am not. Correct. And correct. So I, so I will say uh, just to give additional information to, you know, IRS that are trying to get into this. And and I know it's very daunting the, even the thought to how would you get an insurance plan to how you would negotiate, uh, you know, that would make most radiologists, you know, very uncomfortable. Uh, but there are organizations, uh, I know they're in the Dallas Worth area, they're called, you know, Physician and Integration Associations or uh, different, uh, variations the same. These are physicians that have banded together, usually uh, solo practitioners that have banded together that have already a set fee schedule, and you can automatically get under plans. Uh, the one in Dallas is called Southwest uh, Physicians Association, or SPA. And for a, a $950 a year, you are automatically under plans. Now, most of those are geared towards primary care, so it will may not be to your best benefit. Uh, SPA has some uh, vascular surgeons with their OBL. So it'd be something that you could get on immediately and and get on plans. So that's an alternative option. Additionally, even if you are on their plans, you also have the option to negotiate on your own for higher rates later on. So daunting, but there are a lot of things that, you know, IRs that don't have experience can get, you know, help with this process uh, if they want to do it on their own.
0: So I would say most, probably most don't have experience with that ultimately. No, so that's no. a great piece of advice. So, uh, but, but it's out there like, and
2: as you said earlier, you know, get on SIR forum, call any of us, call, you know, uh, Bill Julian. I mean, I, I think there's so much information that People want to help you do this. So, um, uh, so, uh, let's, uh, Aaron, do you have any questions that you would like to talk about?
1: What have your struggles been with working with outpatient, you know, for example, primary care? I mean, podiatrists tend to know what IR does. Um, you know, in the hospital, most doctors know what IR does. Uh, I find that, you know, a lot of family practice docs, you go out there and you start talking about all these things that we do and they're, you know, they kind of, their eyes glaze over a little bit because they're, they're just not used to us. So they don't even, I've had some people say, hey, wh- when did you guys start doing vascular work? You know, so it, those, that's a challenge, I think. And I was just curious to know what, if you've experienced that in yeah, your marketing. Yeah. yeah
0: ab- absolutely. A- something very, very early on, I started realizing, you know, I, I would go into an office and they would say, oh, so you do, you've asked yourself. I say, yeah, but we also uh, offer X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I, their eyes would just glaze over. And I think we as radiologists are super good about touting that flag of, hey, we can do anything in the body. We're very good with catheters and needles. And, and, and people get that, but I've sort of teared it back and between me and the marketing people, uh, and, and Swee and, and Eric Rogers, we kind of talked about the approach being a little different than maybe we should go in, you know, talking about one specific thing that's going to be useful to that practitioner on that day, because God only knows on a busy office day or a busy hospital day, how much attention do any of us have to hear about 25 things that somebody can do that you're just meeting. N- nobody has time for that. Nobody has the brain power for that. And I would purport, most people don't probably care. But if you say, hey, look, you know, how are you treating your patients with venous stasis ulcers in your legs? What, how are, are what, what wound care are you doing for them? What are you prescribing for them? What type of stockings? They're gonna say, oh, uh, well, actually, why don't you, you know, if you have a question, give me a call. Here's my cell. Give me your cell phone. So if I have a patient of yours, I can talk to you about them as opposed to having you wait for a report from my office staff. And let me help get your patients back to you and be happier with, you know, with their current situation. So I think when you're marketing, I think it's really critical to have just a nice, easy spiel, right? You have to, you have to tell them something, but I would try to actually keep it simple, um, you know, and and have a target that you're trying to get to. Cause if you make it too broad, it's just, there's no message.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. They don't come they don't come away with anything. And they just like, they just throw your referral pad in a, in a drawer somewhere and you'll never 100%. get a patient from them.
2: 100%. I, I take it a uh, kid, Tim, to, you know, consenting patients. Uh, I don't want to give them a laundry list of complications. Give me the one or two things that you're really worried about going to happen, you know, so.
0: Great analogy, great analogy. Yeah, for cool. consent, that's a great one. They have to know this, the things that are most likely to happen and what are the severe things, but they don't need to know all the other stuff. It's not going to sink in. And,
2: and And I think you made a great point in that, give yourself a number. You need to be available to your referring physicians and you need to be able to communicate back to them um, immediately, Uh, you know, results and and so forth. So uh, guys,
0: honestly, uh, you know, that is that's your that's your mainstay. If you're going into an office, you are going to become a ghost in public because people aren't seeing you at the hospital cafeteria. They're not seeing you at the tumor board. They're not seeing you at the medical staff meetings and you're going to take that for granted, but all of a sudden you're going to be doing cases and busy in your office. But, you know, you see a name on a chart. You don't know who that doctor is. If you don't know them, they don't know you. So this is a great way. I mean, honestly, just going out and like having just a happy hour or just going there and, you know, just sitting down and talking for five minutes, and say, hey, I'm not going to take your time. I just literally am new in the area and I just want to meet you. up taking care of some of your patients. Thank you for sending that actually. Carries a lot of weight. It's not going to carry weight with everybody, but for the few that it does, you might be building sort of a you know, profession long uh, uh, relationship there, and that's it's critical that you really have that personal, hands on touch.
1: Yeah, that impeccable follow up. I think you mentioned in your in your talk, and I think that's that's totally key because anybody who is uh, has that shared goal of taking excellent care of the patient is going to appreciate that.
2: And, Absolutely. And it, excellent care and referring back to, uh, let's talk about complications. And and I know you want to take care of them in-house, but could you touch base on, do you have a transfer agreement? Do You have, you know, I know you have a vascular surgeon on board, but someone who you can uh, get help if you have complications. And uh, how do you make sure you follow up with your patients that that may be admitted?
0: Okay. So we we have a a a really good system for all of these things. And, um, you know, there are other options, but I'll start with, um, first off, we have a vascular surgeon in our organization, but he's an hour, hour and a half away. So by no means is he somebody that I can rely on to take care of a a problem. So it's all the onus is all on us. So uh, the the first most important thing about managing complications is to not cause them. And then the second most important thing is to not cause them. And then the third one is probably probably not to cause them. So you have to pick your patients really well. And you have to be honest. Um, I will tell you that if a complication can happen in a hospital and it can happen in an OBL, it will probably happen three times more in an OBL than it will in a hospital. I don't know why that is, but you know, you have to be very judicious about when is the time to stop. Um, I'm not going to give you guys a, hey, stay gym and do the proximal part of their SFA today, the mid part of their SFA and the distal SFA. I think that's highway robbery, but for a sick patient who's you know, on the edge of being maybe too old or too frail, but it's relatively functional and may need to have like a complex CLI procedure. If they've got COPD and heart failure and they've had strokes and they aren't anticoagulation and other things, it's nice to do them in the office. But sometimes that might be a patient that you do, just take them to the hospital. Um, and, and, you know, or, or if you're going to do them, you kind of do the wait and watch approach and sort of see what's enough. And that's, I think, for all of us, you know, we're in the age of Twitter where you see all these home run, you know, aorta down to toe, Recanalization, stented all the way, and everything looks great, and they heal their wounds, and it's awesome. But um, maybe that's not the right way, and maybe there is that sort of question of how are we measuring perfusion or what's a good endpoint, and those are things that I think we still need the answer to. But to answer your question about what do we do uh, if we do have a complication because they do happen, is um, you know obviously in your toolbox if there's you know an issue, try to manage it there. Uh, if you have a you do a biopsy and you think they're bleeding, you do an angiogram, you take care of it. Um, on the flip side, if if there's something that needs a higher level of care you know, in our situation, at least in Florida, I have to have privileges at a facility within a hospital, a tertiary care facility within three within 30 minutes of my center in order to be certified by the state to be able to do cases in the office. You can also have a transfer agreement. But we have, uh, we personally have, transfer agreements are, by the way, exceedingly hard to to come by down here. Um, so hospital privileges are the way to go. And, and actually, hospital privileges are also a challenge, which is something I wasn't anticipating coming out of a hospital where everything was sort of taken care of. Getting privileges, I got you know denied at a couple of places where where Warren has uh, privileges, and we've been working on trying to find sort of our home base hospital if we have to do something higher level that we can go to. So um, we have relationships with hospitals, and we try to send to our the hospitals where we have privileges. If it, you know if it's a, a bigger complication, they need something more immediate, then we go wherever's closest. Uh, we know a lot of the people in the neighboring area, so if we have someone that goes to a facility that we don't have privileges at, that we can kind of keep tabs. I personally have visited. A patient who um, had sort of an unfortunate uh, sort of freak uh, you know complication after procedure and went and visit her at the hospital Um, and uh, I didn't have privileges there but went sorry she did great she's got no residual issues but you know just being available to go talk to them it made such a difference for that patient to see you follow up on them because it's kind of again isolated out there Uh, if you don't take the first step at having that follow-up with them they won't have it and they will not come back to you so Uh, for the last question, I think you had Lincoln was, what are the, you know, uh, mechanisms we have for following up with patients that might be admitted to hospital? We have the, 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 the ladies and gentlemen in our offices are phenomenal. And honestly, they make everything work. The medical assistants, the nurses, they really are absolutely, I can't sing their praise enough. They're amazing. Um, and they're, they're all over our patients all the time. I mean, after hours, whatever it is, they manage a lot of the phone calls. Um, I, I will personally call, uh, you know, a physician, uh, excuse me, a patient if I need to, or I'll have the, the MAs call them to track them, to see what their course is, what their follow-up is. And the second they're out of the hospital, they get a follow-up visit to come see us so that we can track them. Uh, even if there's nothing that we need to do subsequently, just to sort of really close that loop, uh, and make it clear to them that we're in it for the, from start to finish.
2: Now, I, I think your point of visiting someone that you've had a complication with, even though you're not on staff is critical. You do not want to feel like that patient, or that patient does not cannot feel like they've been abandoned by you. Yeah, you, you, they need to know that you care, and I think that's the same continuity you'd expect. Uh, you know, if you were in the hospital and you kind of try to mimic the same yeah. at the patient. So uh, I think I I you're totally, very, totally totally about that. Um, so that's uh, fantastic. It, it, just to reiterate the point about uh, getting hospital privileges. Uh, you're able to do it in Florida. In Dallas, I think that'd be a great challenge. Uh, You know, we have three or four very, very large radiology groups that pretty much have exclusive contracts. And for you as an independent IR to try to get uh, privileges would be near impossible. I think Aaron can uh, reiterate that or not. Uh, And uh, but fortunately for OBLs, you're not required to have a transfer agreement in in Texas. Uh, You know, you're going to have to check with your local uh, rules and regulations, uh, ASCs are much more likely to require transfer agreements. So, uh, just uh, the things that you need to know on the legal side. So, uh, again, I want to plug that: if you're going to get into this, uh, whether you sign with people that are going to manage your company, you know, with one of these large organizations, get good legal representation. Uh, I, I yes. think it's critical. Uh, you do not want. You know, you you may, you're giving up your hospital practice. You do not want to be beholden to somebody else, with, without un, unknowingly being beholden to somebody else. Unfortunately, because those they're businessmen, they're there to make money, and they will do it off your back if you if you're not cautious. They will. Yeah, they will. Um, so, uh, Tim, are you collecting and publishing your data, and and how are you collecting it?
0: a uh, great question. Um, as of yet, actually, Warren and I have been talking about that. I I, I was the the uh, Principal investigator on a couple of trials at Sinai before I left there, um, and as of yet, uh, simply because of um, sort of the organization um, in the offices right now, and because we're between two places that are like 45 minutes to an hour apart, uh, maybe an hour and a half apart if we're going up to West Palm, it's a little it's been it's been challenging. So um, there's a there's a, another uh, doc that's uh, tempting uh, or is uh, sort of playing with the idea of joining who has uh, some research personnel that would come with them. And they were, so there's some discussion within the organization to have sort of a new division of research so that we could, uh, do trials and original research and publications, uh, 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 system-wide, because I think there's a tremendous opportunity with so many operators all in the same, um, you know, electronic medical record, um, and with similar sort of goals to be able to sort of publish our experience as, a, a mid-sized, um, you know, outpatient-based uh, organization, which I think would be interesting to anybody, whether they like or don't like it. I think it'd be interesting uh, to hear that story uh, and how the business of medicine can be done sort of right. You know, so we're we're working on that. Right there's a there's an organization uh, in Boynton that's a private uh, research organization that I've had a couple of dinners with about maybe managing a couple of the trials that I was gonna that I was gonna uh, be the private a uh, principal investigator for. So, but as of yet, I, I'm just trying to get everything rolling. Um, and I figured this is going to be something that we're going to tackle within the next six to 12, six to 12 months or so, as I'm there for a little bit longer, because I think that there's, um, it's nice to have relationships with industry. It's nice to have, uh, products available, uh, early. Um, there are certainly the potential for, for business relationships with, with industry in terms of like good pricing, uh, if you've been involved with the trial, but then there's also the sort of other side of that, which is if you're doing a trial, there's sort of the expectation that you're going to stock your shelves, so those are some of the challenges that you have to, you know, deal with uh, in an office where you have to be significantly more cost conscious. Um, so we're, we're, we're juggling those. As of yet, I don't have a way to to gather that data, but Sui and I are very cognizant of that and we're, we're planning for it as we, as we open up our third center.
2: Yeah, and it may not be critical now, but going forward as, you know, the tech savvy generation gets older and older where we're going to have to treat them, you know, the, our Medicare population is probably not going to be used uh you know yelp to look at us look us up but the younger generation definitely does and and i have the younger people asking how many of these have you done what's your rate totally that's something we're gonna have to adapt to uh to give information so uh the critical going forward
0: i totally agree and honestly as as um you know like i was telling you you know we we are our banner is to tell you know it, it payers um, and referring physicians that ultimately we're going to cost you less because we're in an office, which is not always true, by the way. It's not always, always, always true. Most of the time, comparatively, if you've got a person with a prolonged hospitalization and other procedures happening, DRG, blah, 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 you're going to spend more money in a hospital, but it's not across the board. Um, but as we're being rated on quality, as we're our outcomes are being further tracked, we have to have a way to, to we should absolutely prospectively And proactively be the ones showing the data as opposed to someone else finding it out for us and us sort of, you know, uh, what am I, what do I say, what do I do? I don't know the numbers. You have to, you kind of have to do that prospectively. So we're, we're very aware that I totally agree with your point.
2: Uh, Finally, uh, PAD, there sure seems like uh, the buzz is there's going to be reimbursement cuts coming. Uh, What are your guys' concerns about that? And uh, have have we pivoted to anything or uh, what's your,
0: Uh, Uh, um situation yeah i mean i I will tell you this um uh they every single year say that costs or prices are going to or reimbursements going to get cut every single year and the last few years when they said it was going to go down actually went up um it's in i think it's inevitable that you're going to see reimbursements cut for atherectomies and things like that and that's fine it's okay i think aaron made a really critical point that sort of as radiologists we're we're positioned Ah, uh, uniquely to fill in that portfolio, and I—that was one of the first things I said in my first meeting with Eric Rogers and Warren was, "I, I want to do I want to be your outpatient, you know, oncology guy, and I want to build your vein practice, not your your superficial, but your deep vein practice uh, for patients with legitimate compression syndromes and post-thrombotic disease, so that we have other things in the pipeline that are already rolling when prices are cut for atherectomies and peripheral arterial disease management in general so that we're not like caught by surprise and we don't have to take a huge hit so that you know those are a couple of things i'm personally passionate about you know doing outpatient y90 or chemo when feasible uh rf if we have some of the other imaging uh modality capabilities those kinds of things and i think you just have to it's it's, it's dumb or it's very blindsided of a of a business person to say well i'm in the gravy train right now it's going to go forever never nothing goes forever you know nothing goes forever so you always have to have a new strategy and you can't get complacent. And I think that's definitely what we're, what we're doing.
2: Uh, so, uh, what I'd like to end with is just talk about, uh, the new two year IR and direct IR programs and how you think that's gonna change this OBL model and what is the potential for some of them going straight into OBL without ever going into a hospital basis that, is that a consideration if they've had two years of, you know, training.
0: Um, you know, when I, when I've been a speaker at, uh, training courses or I've heard trainers talk to trainees, you know, the, um, I, I, it's, it's, it's really going to be dependent upon the skill level of the person and how honest they are with themselves. I mean, nobody likes to talk about complications, guys. No, nobody does. No one wants to admit that they have complications because when they happen, they happen to a human being and in 99.99999% of those complications something happens that you don't want to happen to a person that you have rapport with that you actually care about and you want a good outcome for so it's 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 really painful for the doctor to have a complication not only because you feel kind of like all of a sudden you're under that spotlight like did i do something wrong no i did the same thing i do every single time and this this was that one statistically significant case where i had a complication but you know i i think for a person coming out planning to do high level complex stuff complex PAD, complex venous central recanalizations that have potential risk for, you know, terrible thoracic complications, um, you know, oncology procedures. I think being in a hospital for some of those things gives the umbrella as you get your skill um, you know, to sort of get comfortable with what you can and can't do. Because early on, when you come out gunslinging, you, you get a false sense when you start after you get over that initial hump, or at least I think I did, I said, you know, man, this is really scary. The first, you know, few months of doing this. But then after a while, I'm like, okay, I've done this a few times now and I feel more comfortable and I can manage this. Um, and you do a few for a while and things go well, and you think, man, maybe I'm maybe I'm not too bad at this and I could do this for a while. And then you'll have a complication. Say, oh shoot, I maybe I didn't see this or I didn't predict this or person has contrast that I didn't hydrate them well enough, or whatever the story might be. And so you have to always be sort of preparing for that. And I think if you go into an office, if you're gonna do that. Um, I think I, my suggestion for the new trainees would be make sure that you're. I think going and doing it alone, right out of the gun, I think is a, is is very challenging. Now that's not to say there aren't entrepreneurially minded, business savvy people with a great skill set that couldn't do it straight out of the bat, right, and build it up from the beginning and do really well financially and professionally for their entire career. But if you, my suggestion, this is just from me, Tim Yates, not not an international guru of any uh, you know uh, any sort just an operating IR out there. My suggestion would be, if you're going to do it, it's always good to have another set of ears or a few sets of ears in a practice to be able to bounce ideas off of and have the support to be able to learn new techniques together and to sort of manage things together. If there is a complication to hear someone say, hey man, I've done a thousand of those and I had 80 of those complications. It's okay. It is what it is. You know, you don't think that when you're alone in isolation. And the other thing too, um, if you're fresh out in practice, you're Nobody. I don't care what fellowship you went to. I don't care what college, what med school you went to, I don't care what your goals are. Nobody knows you. So if you aren't a known quantity, it can be really challenging to sell to that referring doctor, uh, you just finished fellowship a month ago. How many of these complex wound cases have you done? Um, well, in fellowship, I did, you know, that kind of a thing won't won't uh carry muster. I think that our job, the three of us and people who are interested in this with the SIR, uh, particularly um, as we're training new trainees, is to talk to them about the office and talk to them about the opportunity for different type of care and that they're complementary to an alternative to hospital care uh, and that new models are going to emerge as a result of office-based ASC and hospital care. So uh, they could be potentially riding a new wave of a new hybrid model we have yet to see. So at least to sort of train them that these things are a reality, they're not going anywhere, that there are really great advantages doing them, there are also disadvantages, and just kind of giving them highlights. I think, I think that's the same for anybody that went into a busy private practice or hospital practice. You know, they're the junior guy. No one's going to give them that that you know acute uh, th- thoracic descending award aneurysm to deal with right away. They're going to that's going to be the senior partner, right? You know, the complex stuff is going to go to the senior guy, and you sort of learn by slowly doing. And I think that's when you're working on people, that's the only way to go.
2: Yeah, so I'd like to echo the same sentiment. I think I think if you're coming out of training. I think you probably need a, a few years in a hospital setting with a mentor that that can support you. You, you, you know, really, really uh, give you insight into what you're doing. Because uh, even though you may have the technical skills, I find the management skills still lacking in, in new trainees. Uh, the second thing I'd like to say is. Uh, Diagnostic imaging, you know, don't undervalue, you know, you have the skill set. You know, I've been doing this for close to 20 years now. My diagnostic skill set is not going anywhere. But I think IRs are some of the best diagnostic readers because we have that feedback. And and so uh, don't undervalue, you know, your ability to help your clinicians and therefore make you valuable as an IR on top of that. Just, uh, so I, would like to just, you know, keep your, keep your skill set diversified if you're coming out of credit. Uh, I think that's critical.
0: Um, you never know what you're going to need to market until you're in the market they need to market to. So if you cut yourself off, the only thing you're cutting off is you, right? You gotta always be able to offer. You don't like MAMO, but they need a guy to do MAMO and IR. You might be the one to get that job and to be able to pay your bills and, and then build it out, whatever the story is. is, I totally agree with that. I think it's a great, great point for, especially for new trainees starting a job, it, it's. You can't be so, so, so demanding and so, so, so specific early on. Or you can, but you should also be flexible to know that you have to work into it. Because that's just, that's just reality.
2: Yeah. So uh, what I'd like to end it with is uh, I think uh, this is definitely the wave of the future. I think all three of us agree on that. There's no question about that. And really the vast majority of IRS have the technical skill to do it. Uh, depending on where you're in a career, will depend on how you go about doing it, whether you have to partner with somebody, whether you can do it independently. But the final thing is, is just knowing you as a person, are you capable? Do you have that growth mentality? Do you have that entrepreneurial spirit to make that decision, whether you can do this? And the only way you're going to be able to know that is to get out there, go visit centers, talk to people, and, and use the resources that you have available.
0: Great great points. Uh, I want to thank you guys so much if there aren't any uh, further questions. I think this was a great discussion. I think you guys uh, have a phenomenal show. Uh, Lincoln, it was great to have you co-hosting. Aaron, thanks for thinking of me. I'm honored to be uh, here talking to you guys about my personal experience uh, and for whatever it's worth. Uh, I'd like to be a resource to anybody that's here listening. Uh, through Instagram Twitter my uh, email things everything's available so I really uh, you know let's keep the dialogue going and let's build the next generation just remember growth mindsets everything and you won't know if you have a growth mindset until you do it and if you don't do it you'll never know and there's no reason to leave it on the table we've got a short time here if you think it's the right thing for you seek out the resources Lincoln talked about seek us out and uh, and make it happen thanks again Tim and thanks Aaron for uh,
2: organizing everything
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Brian Hartley. Our audio
2: team lead is Karen Gannon with support from
0: Caleb Hodson. And Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. With support from
2: Zubi Sayed.
0: Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson.
2: And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. And newsletter by Lauren Fang.
1: Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.